Welcome to the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. We are your source on what's going on at the university, the Alumni Association, and all things Runner Nation. Because now and forever, we are Roadrunners. 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 Welcome, Runner Nation, to another episode of the Birds Up Podcast, marked by the UTSA Alumni Association, a podcast by runners for runners. And I am your host, Drew Addison. And with me, as always, is my beautiful wife, Yvonne. How are you today? Doing good, doing good. Recovering from a, almost a full week in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was a fun trip, but ew, my allergies did yeah. not make it fun. It was pretty dry, and it was the coldest it's been there in 50 years. So it was yeah. cold and, and blustery, is, I guess is the proper word, because yeah. it was like 40 mile an hour gusts. And um, it was chilly. I was not, I, I think I checked the forecast before we left, and I didn't believe it when I when <laughs> when we got there. But I feel like the perfect time to stay in Vegas is around, probably around two nights and three days is mm-hmm. probably the max. I think yeah. so. Next time we go, I think we'll we'll limit it at that. But mm-hmm. awesome couple of weeks. We have a really great episode for you today. But before we jump into that, Yvonne, what do we have going on at the University of the Alumni Association? Yeah, so we are on the post giving day rounding up of numbers and celebration of what an amazing giving day uh, we had. So uh, April 4th and 5th for 1969 minutes. It was just a big community global outreach. Let's just say it's a global outreach because we had donors coming in from outside of the United States. And this is the annual time where we ask our alumni people who support UTSA or who want to start supporting UTSA to help give to student support and programs, scholarships, anything that can help really contribute to the success of students at UTSA. So we have at this point, um, they're still tallying more and more numbers, but at this point, we've got a little over $573,000 in donations from more than 2,968 donors. Now, this year's goal was 3,000 donors, so we're pretty confident we'll exceed that number once they finish counting all of the offline gifts that were mailed in um, or dropped off. And so over the course of these, this is the third year, this annual giving day has helped generate more than $1.5 million um, in support and super excited about all the ambassadors. I, I wasn't believing this number, but we had 210, which is like the perfect number of ambassadors who helped through their social media networking, their outreach, and helping to promote this giving day. Those ambassadors helped to generate over $92,000 of giving support from all 50 states. So that's super exciting. This is, I want to say, I think almost $30,000 more than we helped to generate last year. So I was really proud of our team of ambassadors. Um, I was pleased to serve as an ambassador and help make our make share this event and generate support and we made our donations from Nevada so (laughs) that counts so it counts do we get credit for being one of those 50 states that's not Texas (laughs) Uh, no but we really excited at the outcome and continued giving and support that is coming to UTSA and we mentioned this on our last podcast, but just another reminder, there is a new exhibit featuring artwork from the renowned UTSA Art Collection. It's already going, so it's taking place from now until January 29th of 2024. And it's including works from 12 artists, and these artworks co- um, comprise paintings, photography, prints, and tapestries. And you can check it out on display at the UTSA Institute of Texan Cultures. One more thing I want to mention, this is a a little personal tie-in I was really proud to be a part of. So I'm a member of the UT Systems Chancellor Centurions, and we are an organization that spans uh, representation from all of the UT System campuses, and we are sort of the arm of young professionals who support the Chancellor and the UT Systems outreach and our interest in higher education and what what we can do to help promote and understand where the needs are and what we can do to best be advocates for our UT system. And so part of this 
membership uh, participation is that we give out a gift to support a number of different things over the course of the of, of the years that this program has been in place. But I was super proud to be part of the committee that helped get together a $25,000 gift that went to the UTSA's first to go and graduate program. So this program promotes academic success of first generation college students. And this was established in 2015. It's really to help promote the academic success, persistence, and successful graduation of students. There's a mentorship program uh, where underclassmen help guide and counsel the newer first-gen students at UTSA. We got to listen to a really awesome um, student panel, and they talked about this peer mentorship. And they're part of these groups called Familias, that that mentorship was so instrumental in helping them reach the success that they had, because they're getting to learn from somebody who's been in their shoes not that long before them. So that part of this program, that aspect of this program, just hearing these students' stories, like you can just see how um, successful that mentorship component is. And, um, and in, in addition to all of the other, other support goes to these uh, first-generation college students. And uh, so, yeah, really super proud to be part of that. Um, we'll be traveling to a different UT System campus next year for that gift and uh, some more to come. But if you are an alumni out there and you want to get involved in Chancellor Centurions, we'll include some information on the show notes. This is open to any alumni from any UT System institution. And uh, we're always looking for more and more representation of UTSA. So it's and it's really cool to connect with alumni from other campuses and hear about what their experiences are like and, and really come together for a greater good that spans beyond just our, our individual institutions. So That is awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Uh, today we speak with Joe Arrete, the third class of 2014 in political science and government, who's also a fire engineer, fire investigator, and EMT for the San Antonio Fire Department. Uh, Joe is our first first responder and has over 18 years experience working in one of the most competitive, physically and mentally demanding and dangerous jobs out there. Born and raised in San Antonio, Joe's family has always been extremely involved in the growth and inner workings of the city and still continues to do so to this day uh, with his sister running for city council. Mm -hmm. Uh, While he made it a point to not step into political arena himself, his passion for the city, its citizens, and UTSA are evident in all the work that he and his family has done that we speak about in the interview. But stick around for after the interview as we'll go over some more things happening at the University of the Alumni Association, and we'll be back in a bit. Birds up. Birds up. Beep, beep. I'm excited about today's guest because this is our first first responder I know. that we've had. 40 episodes in and we just now have a first just responder. Now. We should have been ahead of the game here. That's right. Some, That's there's right. There's some amazing people out there, but I think we have one of the best today. With a long career as a firefighter with the city of San Antonio, Joe Alderete. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we've had the opportunity to meet your parents and we'll talk a lot about family on the tail end of our conversation, but just knowing your involvement of your family and your entire family is so tied to the city of San Antonio is truly incredible. With your career as a firefighter, fire engineer, fire investigator, EMT, class of 2014 at UTSA, and political science and government, born and raised in San Antonio, I got to ask, what high school did you go to? I went to Thomas Jefferson High School. Excellent. Class of 95. Class of 95. Class of 95. Yeah. Tell us about coming out of high school. We got to step into our collegiate careers. Sure. Um, What are you going to do after you graduate? That's like the next question. Exactly. What's that process? (laughs) I went down the path of the community college. I went to SAC and I started up there. At that point, I wanted to get into some kind of sociology. Had a good couple of semesters there, a good couple of years there, and then tailed off and started really looking to build up my professional career. And so school took a back burner at that point. I was still going, but it was usually four hours, six hours, something really easy just to kind of maintain going. And then eventually it just dried up and my focus turned to getting into the fire department, which I did at 27 years old. At that point, already earned enough hours at San Antonio College without being able to acquire an associates because there was one class that I could technically go back for, but I had capped at hours that were transferable to UTSA. Oh, wow. Mm. So I couldn't transfer with an associates. I had to transfer with a Just certain number hours, of hours. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of an interesting makeup when I finished off at UTSA. Interesting. So the decision to join the fire department, I always feel that that's got to be a pretty interesting process personally. Right? Sure. You're entering into a field that's obviously highly dangerous, high stress. Crazy 
hour schedule. What was that process of coming to the conclusion that you're going to go become a firefighter? With my family's history, there's a long life of public service there. And I always kind of wanted to put myself into that conversation of how would I best serve civic engagement, so on and so forth. And I really looked along the lines of teaching for a number of years. I was thinking, Mm. I'll go to school, Mm -hmm. I'll teach. And I thought, hey, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm not a legacy in the fire department, so obviously my father didn't really have any uncles in the fire department, but I did have a next-door neighbor, Joe Candelario. And at 18 years old, I remember he came across and handed me the physical paperwork for the requirements to fill out to take the test. Mm -hmm. Mm. And in it was the actual job description. It went through everything that you could think of, you know, operating in high stress, high heat, cold environments, freezing rain, hazmat situations. And I'm thinking to myself at 18 years old going, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, like (laughs) I appreciate it, but don't want to do that right now. But it's funny because it's stuck in my brain because when I would compare that to other job descriptions, I always remember thinking, doesn't sound as cool as that first one, Mm -hmm. you know, the older I got. So started down that path and that path took me three years to get in. The test is relatively competitive here in San Antonio. So just some general numbers. I competed against about 4,500 guys for 60 spots. Oh my gosh. So the numbers have gone down a little bit, but usually about 2,500 guys for about 60 spots. Wow. It took me three tries to get to a point where my score was high enough to where the other tests that they made us go through, my score was still high enough to maintain to go through each next phase. And that's essentially how they accept people or weed them out. You would never really think that it would be that competitive competitive. It is interesting when you start telling people some of the numbers and there's certain people that break it down. They say, well, it's statistically harder to get into the San Antonio Fire Department than it is Yale. And I say, yeah, okay, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> you know, we're, we're apples and oranges here. Sure. Statistically, you can make an argument there, but nonetheless, it is a tough thing to get into. And we do see in the majority of instances, obviously, the testing and the appropriate measures that they've taken to get the cream of the crop to those that are going to sure. serve in those high stress, high anxiety, very powerful moments. I guess you really got to dive into not just the physical aspects of it, but the ability to handle it mentally. Sure. You're coming across people's worst day of their lives every single day. Absolutely. I guess it's easier to talk about than it is to comprehend what that is like. When you say the test, is it both mental, like written answer kind of situation and then also a physical ability? Sure, that's a good question. So the first test is a written examination and that's where everybody gets their number assigned. And then at that point, there's a series of about seven tests that range from a mental evaluation to physical evaluations to scenario situations to polygraph tests that they keep going through the process and people, candidates keep falling off (laughs) every time. But the only way you can maintain is by having an early enough raw score that you keep going through the process through each phase. So it's about a six or seven step phase to get in. From the time I tested to the time I actually got into the academy was a little over a year. Mm. So it's a long process. I think every young boy thinks about becoming a policeman or a fireman. Mm -hmm. Once you reach an age to where you can probably become a part of it, you really kind of have to be in your mid-20s or so to fully comprehend exactly what you're walking into. Sure. We have guys in the, the department that have fathers and sons. We've had guys that come in at 19 years old is the, I believe, the age minimum to come in. And you're working side by side with a guy that has 30 years in the same job versus a guy that has two weeks in the same job. Mm. And you're all expected to do the exact same role if you're a firefighter or a private right. on the back of the motor, as they say, or the back of the truck. So that's an interesting place to be in, to be able to see either technique-wise or thought process wise or even how they process the on-scene exactly. trauma back at the fire station yeah. where a young probie could be shell-shocked from his first shooting, stabbing, right. heroin overdose, cardiac arrest, whatever it may be. Yeah. And the old salty dog can go right back to eating his dinner. That's incredible. I mean, I couldn't imagine being 19 years old and walking into something like that. Sure. I can't imagine being 40 <laughs> years old and walking into that. Yeah. But you started as a firefighter in 2004. In 2012, you decided to go back to school. My wife, Karina, was the impetus for that. My family with my sister, and my parents, they always had stressed education. And my sisters had gone off to get their master's degree at DePaul and University of Illinois, respectively. Mm. My wife did her undergrad at Notre Dame. So when we started dating, I was kind of like, wow, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of great, yada, yada, yada. And you kind of took some brains, not just get in over there, but survive up there. And, you know, I want to go back for my master's, George Washington University. And they had an online program, maybe 09. 
So she committed herself and seeing the discipline, you know, we set up the computer, we set up the desk. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is 09, you know, online learning is still yeah. relatively right, new. Right. And she committed herself fully and it was an inspiration to see her kind of just immerse herself in it. And so when we all went up to D.C. for her graduation, it was 16 or 17 of us. And, and it was the typical Mexican household from San Antonio that was cheering in the stands. Yeah, man, yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm sitting there in the stands going, man. And I'm relatively close to my degree. I need to go back and do right. this. Yeah. At that point, we had had just our firstborn while I was finishing up my school. During graduation, one of the greatest photos that I have is I'm in my cap and gown. And there's our, I think at that point, our six-month-old. Oh, you know, wow. So I was That's thinking, awesome. this is the reason I'm doing it. I strongly relate to that because I took my time getting back into school as well. And Yvonne was a huge inspiration for me to get back. It was no question it was going to be UTSA. Yeah. <laughs> so that. here's this college you can go to. Yeah, because Yvonne was kicking around the idea of getting a master's, and I was like, I need to finish this thing. And I'm sure in your experience, the way that I feel is that I'm forever grateful to my wife to inspire me to finish. Yeah, and it's just not the normal, hey, that was that one episode. It is a constant thing with her where she constantly amazes me in different avenues and different ways to inspire me on the daily, so it's great. And it was inspiration, but it was also a little uh, kick in the butt as well. Sure, You know, hey, come on, let's go, you know, so... So you decided to go and finish your degree, and what was the drive towards political science? I had originally started with my sociology degree, and my schooling wasn't always on the front burner at that point. So I had time to breathe. I had time to look at a couple of different classes, and obviously there were some classes in my final, what was it, 122 hours that Mm -hmm. you needed or something like that, Mm -hmm. that weren't towards my degree plan. And I took that as okay. Obviously, with my father being a city councilman from 77 to 85, Mm -hmm. politics have always played a large role. But I made a decision very early on, obviously through public service or the possibility of teaching, that I didn't necessarily want to go down that route of politics. I felt its power. I understand the responsibility that comes with it, but I also see some of the other seedier sides sure. to it as well. So I made a conscious decision to not go down that path. And it led me to, obviously, the department. At that point, you're seeing what you learned at UTSA, read some really, really good textbooks and political ideologies that really helped form and strengthen some of the stuff that my parents had instilled in me. And it kind of melded all together. And you're thinking, okay, this is the right major for me. This this feels right. I'm interested in reading about this. I'm interested in going to class. I'm interested to see where this finishes off. So you had that family background, and then you're kind of seeing how you can incorporate it into your fire department world. And it just seemed seamless at that point to go with poli-sci. So you're not the first poli-sci graduate that we've had on the show but you are the first poli-sci graduate that has had family in politics oh, okay yeah. so the way that you're able to tie what you saw as a kid and growing up and, sure. and living in that world you've already been exposed to a lot of this stuff right and local 624 here has always had a major role within politics you can go back in san antonio's history and to see where the power and influence of local unions sapoa or local 624 have had and i had shied away from that my first six or seven years in the department mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on purpose as well so I could learn my job of firefighting learn my job of being an EMT good bedside manner good firefighting skills so on and so forth mm-hmm. and then I was approached about six or seven years in from the union president to come and take a look at the opportunities that the union had they may be able to employ my skill set in some of the arenas that oh, were wow. there wow so, okay well, let me take a look It's a multifaceted organization from family assistance to grievance to recreational poker club, uh, athletic club. But we also have our legislative committee, and that's obviously one of the heavier committees Mm -hmm. with Local 624 that deals with current state of the politics locally, statewide, or federally. Mm -hmm. So he kind of brought me in on the political action committee side, and I was able to kind of toe dip into what was going on. So at that point, it allowed me to still have a little bit of breathing room. And obviously, when you're talking about going through your major, you're reading a lot of books, reading a lot of philosophies, a lot of ideas. Right. And this is the everyday implementation in some of those, you know, slippery slope methods and trying to kind of tell people like these are tried and true methods that they have definitions for in the political world. You just have to go look them up, you know, instead of just like, well, what are we doing here? Exactly. And you have to understand that Local 624, we're just a bunch of firemen. We're not paid political strategists. We're Mm -hmm. not paid communications majors. Mm -hmm. It's just firemen firemen coming together to protect their union. And then that's where my skill set came in from political science and UTSA into that world. 
as a complete outsider. I don't have any family who is a first responder. So I would think that fundamentally, the firefighters are there to do what they have committed to do, to help save lives, help and support when they're called to that need. And so what you all are doing is really just advocating to make sure that the firemen get the support they need financially, retirement, the money that the city collects from taxpayers, grants, however it's being funded, that it's being appropriately allocated to help support the firemen and women of our city. That's absolutely the right way to say it. Obviously, a bit more expensive in some arenas, but that's exactly the right way to say it. One thing that I'm proud of on our five-member legislative committee, we can have members leaning right, members in the middle, members leaning left, And we are all able to check that at the door because we realize the goal at hand has nothing to do but with firefighter issues. It's firefighter-centric at all time. And don't get me wrong. There's been a history of good knockdown dragouts, just Mm -hmm. like with any organization, of trying to kind of figure out which way the organization is going to go. But it is for the purposes of maintaining good wages, working conditions, benefits for the San Antonio Fire Department men and women out there. You are active firefighters Mm -hmm. and having that perspective, I feel like that a paid politician stepping in would probably mess it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, a funny little anecdote. I served 15 years on the West Side, right off of General McMullen and Ruiz at Fire Station Number 15. Mm. The first and second poorest zip codes in the state. Mm. A lot of hard mm-hmm. times over sure, there that we sure. had to tend to. Sure enough, we get called out to a house fire 5.30 or 6 in the morning. It's a working fire, so meaning, hey, we're going to be here, we're working. And about two rooms in, here comes the fire, and we're able to kind of get to it relatively quickly. It wasn't as intense as we initially had thought, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, I'm sitting there in my mind going, you know, full bunker gear, breathing on air going, I have to be at council in three hours. You know, like, oh, wow. You (laughs) know, and that's something that a lot of these politicians or these people in power don't realize. They're like, wait, you're still out in the field? Yes. We have a captain on our committee. I'm an engineer. Engineer, we have a hazmat guy, we have an EMS guy that we all contribute and all still have to go to work yeah. and then come back and do this for yeah. our organization. Yeah, you didn't get your full eight hours that night. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Starting in 2021, you become a fire engineer. Before we get there, let's talk about EMT. It's one thing to fight fires, but I feel like you get probably more calls going out to accidents and things that happen to where you need to call on those abilities as an EMT Absolutely. to serve. So is it standard to come in as a firefighter and also be getting EMT training? When we come out of our fire academy, we are EMT certified and a structure firefighter certified, meaning we are able to give basic life support skills, CPR, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. That's how everybody comes in the fire department. Now, after two or three years, you have the ability to test to become a paramedic. When you become a paramedic, that's when you're on the box, the EMS box that you see going everywhere. Those Mm -hmm. are two paramedics. Those are more highly skilled EMTs. They're advanced life support. So they have the red patches on their arm. The great thing about San Antonio in comparison with other cities is that we have two paramedics per ambulance versus one paramedic and one EMT. The difference is, is that that paramedic can intubate and administer drugs. So if you have somebody driving and for some reason that basic is in the back tending to that patient that was a normal patient, all of a sudden they code, that basic is limited in his capabilities Mm. while the paramedic is driving. You see what I'm saying? Now you have a paramedic on the back and driving at the same time. You also have a wealth of knowledge. Hey, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, try this. That really sets our EMS systems apart. So you have the opportunity to test for that after two to three years. And that's where a majority of that next promotion goes to. I was part of a smaller sect of the population where I became the rank of an engineer and I drove a fire truck full time. Every little boy's dream. (laughs) I'm telling you. So I have two boys, Joe and Jude, seven and nine years old. When I'm able to hit the whaler or the horn, (laughs) it is still fun. I mean, I mean, you talking about an adrenaline rush like you would not believe still to this day. And I do it for a living. Like that is my sole job. I don't don the gear anymore to go in and fight the fire. I make sure everybody there, make sure I disperse the water appropriately, tools appropriately, all that kind of stuff. But the driving part of it is just, I mean, it's so much fun. There's got to be a skill set on driving that massive truck yeah. and the situations you got to be going in. It can get a little hairy at times, but that's the fun part of it. So my fun is the pregame to the actual fire. My job is getting everybody there safely and in a timely manner. And yeah. that's my Super Bowl of the call. Their yeah. Super Bowl of the call is the fire that they getting can see three or four blocks away. Oh, man. Yeah. Can you so imagine? You talk about an adrenaline rush. Another quick story. We were heading down 24th. Our Lady of the Lake is on fire. This is obviously oh, the Our Lady yeah. of the Lake fire. My company is the first one there. And we're coming down 24th and it's a clear day and you can see black smoke coming off of the top. And it was one of those quintessential movie moments where you're thinking, uh-oh, 
You know, like, this is us. You know, we're first on. Let's go. That was a harrowing experience. That's wild. I also noticed, too, that there's a lot of resources for certifications and things like that. I looked into the National Fire Protection Association, which is a global self-funded nonprofit organization established in 1896 and is devoted to eliminating death, injury, property, and economic loss due to fire, electrical, and related hazards. Are the certifications they offer provide the opportunity for advancement within the group, or is that promoted within the different stations? Absolutely. The San Antonio Fire Department always has either fire instructor courses going on, some type of advancement certification going on, not only that, but also through our local 624. There's numerous opportunities through the IAFF to advance your career, whether it be, like I mentioned, politically or negotiations-wise, contract-wise, litigation-wise. There's always conferences. So it's a two-pronged effort with not only the city offering different certifications and things of that nature, but also our local 64 doing that as well. Wow. It's a good thing. Do they have some input also on how the city does fire code and things like that? Absolutely. The NFPA is a standard. We'd like to say that we can meet their standard. Unfortunately, here in San Antonio, we're below NFPA standards for the amount of fire stations and firefighters we have. So we talk about doing less with more. Obviously, the expansive growth that we've had, not only with annexation, but with just normal population growth on average, what is it, 66 people people a day moving Mm. here or something like that. San Antonio has been one of those cities that has seen this expansive growth. And unfortunately, the number of our stations just hasn't kept up with it. I mean, there's obviously a massive cost that goes with outfitting, manning, and constructing those fire stations. But by NFPA standards, we're a little behind. Wow. For large metropolitan areas, what would you consider a gold standard in our nation? Every major metropolitan area has its problems, whether Mm -hmm. it be on the EMS side or the fire side, staffing issue, or a geographic issue. You know, if there are wildland firefighters, every department is going to face something differently. Mm -hmm. This just happens to be our plight right now. So it's tough to speak specifically to a gold standard and say, hey, that department's got everything Mm -hmm. down pat. Mm -hmm. Because we're all trying to kind of plug in the holes that are always going to be leaking. You Mm -hmm. know, that's Mm -hmm. just society's job that they've put for us. So you're going to do well in some and you're going to falter in others. You're going to get in some geographic regions where you don't really have that much fire. You have more EMS calls. And Mm. then you have major metropolitan areas where you have a mix of everything. And then you have outlying companies that deal with just wildland firefighting, maybe not so much EMS. And so their EMS is not as good. So there's a multitude of different arenas. It just, unfortunately, with San Antonio, we're fighting that staffing issue, keeping up with the national trends of having enough EMS units on hand. Let's talk about a pure city, Dallas, relatively the same in size. I think they have 57 fire stations. We have 54. Mm. They have 55 full-time ambulances. Oh, wow. Take a guess at what we have. For a city of roughly the same size of people. We've got 33. Whoa. So I'm just telling you, you know, so when you're talking about spreading our resources thin, doing more with less, our San Antonio EMS is a walking definition of doing that. And not only that, the fire department side as well. Interesting. You know how there are food deserts where there's like not a local grocery store that's fairly accessible to people who might not have transportation. Are there fire department deserts? deserts? That comes with the annexation. Good example right now, you know, the city wants to annex land up 281 or is already in the process of doing that. And normally through any municipality growth, they have to account for public safety. First mm-hmm. thing right out the gate, mm-hmm. I okay. need to account for police and fire. Mm-hmm. Before you put a courthouse in, before you put a post office in, you have to account for police and fire. Through the annexation, we currently are serving residents of the city of San Antonio through contracted services with Bear ESD because oh, we wow. haven't built a fire station out there. Yeah. There's different incarnations of it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of finding out what you have to do and where you have to go. But again, if the city's going to keep growing, we want to make sure our firefighters and our police officers are growing just the same way we want public works to grow. We want parks to grow. We want libraries to grow. We want all of these other things to grow. We want to make sure that the fire department is growing as well. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. We move on to the next phase of your career where just this last year you became a fire investigator, which to me changed the game completely. Sure. So now you're coming in after the fact and trying to figure out exactly what happens. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of work that you got to do with the police department and navigating those relationships. How did that opportunity but was that something that you were wanting to get into? Well, it's a relatively new program, but again, yet another way that the San Antonio Fire Department is a trendsetter, not only in EMS,
EMS through MIH services or whole blood, but they also have on the fire side, they have this investigations unit. Normally people would default to, oh, that's arson. We are part of arson division, but arson deals with the criminality. Right. We deal with the origin and cause. So if we feel that there is an incendiary device, somebody set this purposely, there's somebody on video, then at that point we collaborate with arson mm-hmm. and they take the report and run it from there. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's just a normal, you know, an apartment fire or a house fire, hey, we don't know what happened. It started in the garage. We all ran out. That's where our job comes into play. At the advent of this program being established a couple of years ago, my lieutenant, who I had worked with for about 11 years on the West Side, he became lieutenant of this division. Mm-hmm. Kept up the networking and camaraderie, which we had, and go for breakfast and stuff. And, man, you got to take a look at this division, man. You know, this is what we do, and this is how we do it. Okay, you know, and got to know some of the guys that were down there. So an adjunct position came up, which is essentially you fill in when one of the guys are on vacation, just like an adjunct professor. Sure. You know, fill in when somebody is on vacation or out sick or extended periods. And so I said, you know, this might be an opportunity for me to kind of see. I still maintain my fire suppression driving is my full time, but I will fill in over there when needed. I was lucky enough to be selected, went through the process of some state training, some police training, and not necessarily PD training, but interrogation and interview tactics and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And it's a great ride. You're really learning something new every day. You're really bringing the science aspect of it into play. It's a collaboration effort with arson and PD, like you had mentioned as well. Mm -hmm. There's some paperwork attached to it, which is a little foreign to a firefighter (laughs) after 18 years. You know, you're kind of having to press the keyboard, you know, with two fingers at a time. Right. It's a little different, but it is an avenue which I'm thankful for being in right now. Wow. And it's a great kind of spinoff from the norm that I had been doing for a number of years. Well, it's, it's fascinating, too, because you're like the detective of the fire department. Right. You have the criminality side. And then obviously with a fire, there's be also insurance. Sure. Determining the cause, whether it was caused on purpose or by accident, justifying an arson or you're justifying an insurance claim. My lieutenant always reminds me those reports that we submit are insurance admissible. So it's learning that process again yeah. for not doing anything like that for a number of years, being kind of thrown into that is interesting. Is there any circumstances where you'll probably be called as like an expert witness on things? I haven't yet. I believe one is going to get called here pretty soon as an expert witness, but that's something that they've always instilled in us very early on. The real detectives are in the arson guys. Those are the guys that are certified detectives. We collaborate with them, but they always keep us on notice that since you're the start of the investigation, everything is court admissible. Everything is going to be predicated off of your first origin and cause report. That's more high pressure than any paper you've written at UTSA. (laughs) So if there's any young folks that are out there listening to this that might be interested in going to that, what would you suggest a young person to focus in on to become a fire investigator? Well, obviously the first step is getting into the fire department. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a little tough to get in. But once you get in the idea of being a fire investigator, an arson investigator, an EMS person, EMS lieutenant, whatever it may be, there's multiple options for you within the San Antonio Fire Department. But the key is trying to get in and the key to getting in It's obviously keeping your nose clean. You don't necessarily have to be top of the pops on grades. You don't have to have a college degree. All those things help to a certain degree. Discipline, learning how to study, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But they're not prerequisites for you getting in. Options are abound after that. If anybody has any questions, go to that uncle, that cousin, that brother's brother that's a fireman. Just ask him. And I guarantee they'll be more than happy to sit down and let you know what you need to do in this day and age to get in. Obviously, it's always going to be best to talk to somebody that has recently come out. Testing and things of that nature has changed since I came in. Sure. Nonetheless, we're all good guys and girls and be able to tell you and focus you and send you in the right direction of where you need to go. I feel like I'd mentioned that across all areas of study to students who are looking to get into different fields is really go out and meet some folks and have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in doing something, talk to somebody who's doing it. Yeah. So we have two small boys. Our youngest just turned one today as the date of this recording. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One. 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 Yeah, yeah. But our two and a half year old would be stoked to see a fire truck back home. Oh, <laughs> so, gosh. He gets upset when it drives by and it, he didn't see it. And yeah, goes, yeah, it was yeah. a fire truck. Yeah, yeah. Like, so we'll, we'll have to link somebody. up somewhere. Well, there's an open invitation to Fire Station 28 whenever you want to come by. Uh, would that would be really awesome. happy to do all the pictures and good stuff. That'd be incredible. I do want to talk a little bit about your extras, though. Tell us your involvement with the Maverick Park makeover. Diego Bernal and I went to high school, graduated in 95 out of Thomas Jefferson High School. When he got elected, obviously, we had stayed in touch throughout the years and helped him out. And I was the resident of D1 at that point. So after he got elected, he says, hey, do you want to help me serve in some capacity? I said, absolutely. So he nominated me for Parks and Recreation Board. 
We were living downtown at the time, my wife and myself, and we had decided, hey, we're going to move downtown. Just where, we don't know, but we'll figure that out. So we ended up getting an apartment at 1221 right there off of Broadway. We lived there for a couple of years, and we would take our dog right outside Cadillac Lofts. Mm-hmm. A little bit further away, there's a dog park. Madison Dog Park is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Then when we had our firstborn, Joe, we would take him to a daycare facility right up the way. And I was kind of thinking, this dog park's here. And there's only Cadillac lofts here. Where we live on that side of the river, there's like four apartment complexes Mm -hmm. and there's no dog parks, but there's Maverick Park sitting right there. So I went to go sit down with Diego and said, hey, listen, man, I'm thinking about putting a dog park here. What do we do? How does this work? So he had some guiding lights. And then I, again, just like you were talking to, go talk to people that have done it before. I was lucky enough to talk to David Adelman with Area Real Estate, one of the large developers in downtown San Antonio. Went over it with him and he said, listen, if we're going to do this, we're going to get into this it's going to be the best one. It's going to be top of the pops. Got your back. Let's do what we can do. And I'll send you in the right direction. So we met up with Lorenzo Gomez with 8020 mm-hmm. and Larry Clark with Bender Wells Clark, a landscape architect firm. And we just started this group. A group existed before Friends of Maverick Park, but we kind of reinvigorated them with the idea of putting a dog park down there. My cohort, Ashley Riley, her and I became the leads. So we went around asking for money. We didn't really have a total cost as of yet, but we kind of knew what we were aiming for. And then obviously when the cost came in, we were thinking, oh man, this is a little bit more than we had anticipated, (laughs) but nonetheless, we're going to see this through. Wow. Became a four to five year process, but we were able to get a little over $300,000 in bond funds with crowdfunding and some community events that we had had there. Mm -hmm. So we were able to raise a little over $650,000 total. And then the dog park got completed in March or May of about two years ago. Wow. It was a little bit longer process that had been anticipated because something like this, I don't want to say the first of its kind, but relatively newer, Mm -hmm. where there was no plans in place to do anything there. There wasn't anything on the bond package. It was just a park sitting there. And it was a group of community members that came out and said, hey, if we can raise the money with coordination with San Antonio Parks and Recreation, San Antonio Parks Foundation, the city of San Antonio, can we pay for a park just to go in here? We'll do it. And it's great. My two dogs that were with us, rest in peace, Bear and Nacho, they're no longer with us. They didn't get to see the fruits of their labor. But we do have a dog named Luna Doberman, and she has enjoyed that park a lot. Uh, So it's really, really great to just let the boys run around, let the dog run around and say, hey, man, I had a little part to do with this. You know, that's really, really good stuff. It's on the new bond package to do some more improvements down there. Hopefully I might be involved with some of that. But it's a good project, and I love driving down 281 every day, and my boys always point to it. Hey, there's the park that dad helped build. Oh, that's so it's, awesome. it's good stuff. And I do want to touch a little bit more on the San Antonio Professional Firefighters Association Local 624 Legislative Committee. We did talk in detail about your involvement in that. Is there anything that you guys are working on that you would like to share? The Legislative Committee and any Local 624 organization or committee, we're always looking for that next thing, the next good time that firefighters can get together, golf together, there's a standing golf tournament or play cards together. My work on the Legislative Committee is always contract related. It's a sick thing. Our contract comes up every five years. Right now on the front burner, we have local elections. Over this last week, we've brought in different city council candidates, different city council incumbents Mm. to sit down to discuss earning the local 624 firefighters endorsement. So we have good collaboration with all our local politicians. We're also in session up in Austin. So visit Austin from time to time, different pension bills or healthcare bills that are coming through right now. It's a little bit of a busy season right Mm -hmm. now for us, Mm -hmm. but ultimately we're always gearing up for that next contract. So whether that's meeting with our local elected officials, our judges, or even our state officials. So when we do get into it, let me just say we don't have a repeat of the past. I always say that the local politics is the most important politics we should all be voting on Mm -hmm. as those decisions affect our lives immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your sister is also running for city council as well. My sister, Marina Alderete Gavito, is running for District 7. We're excited about her candidacy in District 7. It's always been a play in the playbook. It's just a matter of running the play. Mm. With the previous councilwoman's departure, we found the right time, and I think Marina is well-qualified, well-schooled. She's got a unique position from being both in the business world, but also the grassroots world as well, in the community world, to kind of be able to see what's best for her district. We're excited about the opportunity for her to serve, and hopefully she gets elected. And Yvonne, you know Marina pretty 
pretty well, and I've had the pleasure of meeting her also. She's such a rock star, and a lot of things she did with the pandemic, really seeing the digital deserts that exist in our city. She's really taken a leadership role in helping make improvements where they're needed. I feel like the pandemic really amplified a lot of things that we didn't know in our normal day-to-day before the pandemic. And so things like this, when somebody can step to the forefront and say, I want to do something about it, I want to help. That takes a lot. Well, I applaud anybody that's willing to throw their hat in the ring. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) So like I mentioned, my dad was there from 77 to 85, but a lot of it is obviously Marina's playbook, but it's our family playbook more so than anything else. And that's one thing with my wife. She was able to come in and be a rock star in her own right. She's currently right now outside at the Northside Chamber Leadership Lab out at Tapatio Springs. I'm a graduate of that. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, 2016. She's at it right now. That's awesome. It's great because there's always this friendly competition within the family. And then to bring my wife into the fray and not only hold her own, but excel in different arenas where my sisters, Claudette, Marina, or Karina are in awe of my wife, Karina. It's great. It always keeps those family dinners healthy. I I imagine those conversations are hilarious. I mean, that's one thing I love. I sit back and I can see my parents smile on their faces. And I get it. There's people out there that love to talk about current TV shows and stuff like that. Not to say that we don't, but the majority of our conversation is usually defined by what's going on locally, Mm -hmm. what's going on nationally, what are you going to do about it, creating these conversations so our kids and their grandkids hear us talking about them Mm -hmm. because of these same conversations that we heard growing up and making sure that they hear those conversations that we're having instead of talking about some reality Mm -hmm. TV family. You know, that doesn't mean anything. Well, here's what sticks out to me about that is the statement of what are you going to do about it? Right. That's a proactive statement versus just sitting on the sidelines and watching it play out. You know, the dog park. Hey, we want to walk our dogs other than somewhere on the river where their feet are getting torn up by the concrete. Mm. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to go put a dog park there. Yeah. District 7's got some deficiencies that need to be worked on. What are you going to do about it? It's that kind of mentality that our parents have instilled in us. Like I said, my wife has just been that ultimate teammate and partner to go in, made sure to put that down on the questionnaire, you know, the women in my life being the forerunners. My dad was there early on, but Mm -hmm. he just sits back with a big old smile on his face Mm -hmm. saying, all right, this is great, you know, (laughs) and it's great to have that in every arena with your family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've had the pleasure of meeting your parents on multiple occasions with Yvonne. She's done some things down at the Port of San Antonio and your mom, Chris, was the board chair for the Port of San Antonio for three consecutive terms starting in 2019 and just rolled off this year. 2022, she received the 2022 Tribute to Women Business Leaders Legacy Award by the San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. And she is an incredible personality. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. <laughs> your dad is just like you say, because I've seen him do it. He sits back yeah. and watches. Yeah. And, watches yeah. Yeah. and he's currently on the ACCD board in his second term with the ACCD board. And they have their small business, the Rose Boutique. They're pushing forward at every moment. Obviously, still really, really excited about politics and more so with Marina's campaign. Oh, yeah. You could see a brim from ear to ear at her campaign announcement. So Absolutely. Super yeah. excited. Well, like you mentioned, your dad did serve on the San Antonio City Council for eight years from 77 to 85, but he also served on the boards of Catholic Charities, the San Antonio River Oversight Committee, the Westside YMCA, amongst others, but he helped raise $2.8 million for Westside YMCA and $3.5 million for Woodlawn Lake Park. When you look at all this, what I love about it is the servant leadership aspect of things and, and all the classes and books and things that I've read where the most effective change-provoking type of leadership is servant leadership, and your family really encompasses that. I appreciate the kind words. We've been lucky enough to not only be surrounded just by our parents, but other community leaders throughout the years, and we've seen these progressions happen generationally. Your entire family throwing the hat in the ring to serve the city of San Antonio. Your career as a firefighter for as long as you have, the work that your father and your mother have done, what your wife is doing, what your sisters are doing, all of it is truly incredible, and really appreciate the insight on everything that's happening with yourself and your family. Absolutely. I do have three quick questions for you. First one being, how did your time at UTSA prepare you or add value to your career path? Exponentially. It was a huge part of the growth process. Obviously, the political side of it is really what's taking shape right now at the forefront of my life. Some of the things that I can go back to, some of the authors that I read and some of the political strategists that I read through their normal curriculum 
curriculum in my poli-sci degree that has influenced the way we go about things right now. Mm -hmm. And then the everyday discipline of it. I always tell people getting a degree has nothing to do with education. It all has to do with discipline. Do you have the discipline to see this curriculum through? Do you have the discipline to see these answers through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to get harder just like a video game, but do you have the discipline to see it through? It doesn't really matter what it's in. I mean, to a certain degree, right? But do you have the discipline to see it through? And that was a situation where for me, I didn't have that discipline early on. Self-admittedly, I was back burner. We'll figure it out when it comes down to it. And then again, through the inspiration of my wife and others, I was like, okay, well, you need to get this discipline in order. And it is a self-test, especially online learning and trying to kind of, I'll just wake up and take it on my own time. And pretty soon, you know, you're four classes behind. Right. So learning those struggles have kind of prepared me and placed me in a position to where I'm relying upon those lessons that I learned at UTSA all the time. As an alumni, what do you see UTSA representing other than just a university? Oh, right now, it's definitely without a doubt community. There is no doubt that UTSA is a community that is growing, obviously, with the football being the forerunner as far as publicity-wise. It gives the university another avenue to create these ideas of community. You start putting the UTSA downtown, that whole project that's going to be transformational to the inner west side of downtown, running all throughout City Hall. The plans that they have there, again, it's building community. Mm. They're looking for the walkability, the livability, the communal aspect of going to school, higher education and learning. President Amy has done an amazing job nurturing that, growing that, and advancing that, seeking out the funds to advance that, having those ideas to go out there and think big and saying, hey, we're going to be transformational to this community. And last one here, what is your favorite memory of your time at UTSA? Like a lot of other people, music is a soundtrack of their lives. There was a couple of different albums and a couple of different songs. You know the parking at UTSA 1604. (laughs) Finding a parking spot was tough, so you'd have to pop in the earbuds and go for a nice long walk before you got to your class. Walking your way literally through the wilderness, you know, of like these little trees, (laughs) you know? So you're on that way parking lot walking over the hill. Jump off a parking lot and you're in a little wilderness with all these brush around you. and There's a path that's already carved, you know, so you know you're headed in the right way. Feeling the brisk morning, you know, the brisk cool air, popping in the earbuds. Those moments, it was more about the environment than it was the actual learning environment. It was the attitude of everything that was going on. I mean, I was there when we paid the 25 extra dollars for the football program to be started. Right. I remember that vote. And yeah. I remember thinking, yes, yeah. without a doubt, like, yeah. let's Make it do happen. this. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. so the amount of great memories are numerous. Trivial walking from a parking lot to school, how it can be so monumental because you're mentally gearing yourself up to get to class. I relish those moments and I look back on them often with a smile on my face. That's awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time and thank you for everything that you and your family is doing for the city of San Antonio. If you're interested in anything that you've heard on our conversation today, make sure you check the show notes as there's links to all of the entities that we spoke about today. But Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate the opportunity to come out and speak with you guys. It's been an absolutely pleasurable experience. Birds up. So there you have a runner nation, the interview with Joe Aldelete the third class of 2014 and 18 year veteran, over 18 year veteran of the San Antonio Fire Department. And uh, really incredible the work that he is doing, not just around the city, especially with like the Maverick Park makeover, uh, but also the time he spends with the San Antonio Professional Firefighters Association, Local 624 in their legislative committee. Really impressive to speak with him. And thank you to him for sharing a couple of those stories that he did during our conversation. I'm always super impressed for anyone that's willing to really dedicate their lives to the safety of others, um, especially in the city of San Antonio. And then also to hear about the campaign for his sister running for District 7, which is within our district of our office, so where we are recording this today. So, uh, Joe, thank you again so much. If you are interested in anything that we spoke about in that conversation, make sure you check the show notes as there's links for every entity that we spoke about so you can learn more. Even if you are looking to maybe join the fire department, there's also some information included on that so you can yeah. get that process started as we heard how competitive yeah, super that is. competitive i did not realize i can appreciate that so many people want to go into this type of profession and it's being as competitive as it is you know also makes us feel great to know that the men and women who are donning those firefighter uniforms are the best of the best yes. in our city so that's pretty awesome 100 yeah. percent. well joe thank you again so much we really do appreciate the time again check the show notes if you are interested in learning anything more about what it is that we spoke about. Yvonne, what else is happening at the University and the Alumni Association? So we've got exciting opportunities 
opportunity. We are serving as a hub for Fiesta Fit Fest this year, which is going to begin Friday, April 14th. It'll go through Sunday, April 16th, and it'll be at the main campus. This is organized by San Antonio Sports and presented by HEB. And this is an official Fiesta event, and it features an amateur cycling event. There's a 5K and 10K run walk, a health and wellness expo, and free fitness classes. And I was reading, I think Friday, it starts, they call it a country mile. Uh, You go around the track, and I think every lap you stop and you have a beer, and there's some other activities around it. So it's a little bit different than your traditional take on. How many uh, laps do you have to do? Well, it's a country mile, so it's four laps. Oh, four laps? Okay. That's, That's not bad. If I had to drink four beers in like that amount of time, <laughs> it, it, no. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be pretty, pretty <laughs> funny. So, yeah, take your family out. It's family-friendly events. It's free to attend, so go check it out. And then another opportunity I want to mention, and this is a save the date, so mark your calendars, Thursday, May 4th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's going to be a uh, opportunity to take a look at some art that is going to be for sale to benefit the Arturo I. Almeida UTSA Art Collection Endowment. This is going to feature artists Anna Hernandez, and a percentage of the art sales will go towards that endowment. There's going to be art, margaritas, bites, live music, raffles, and it's going to be at the Anarte Gallery and Studio and in conjunction with the UTSA Libraries. So there'll be more information coming soon, but save the date, May 4th, 5.30 to 8.30. Fantastic. And uh, just another reminder, I mentioned this on the past couple of episodes, that we have the Triple Alumni Council Mixer coming up. The Alvarez College of Business, Construction Science and Management, and Engineering Alumni Councils are hosting a new graduate mixer at the Dooryard in San Antonio on May 16th, starting at 5.30 p.m. The Dooryard is on De Zavala and Rogers Parkway, and we are welcoming our newest alumni across all three of the colleges. The Eventbrite registration is open, and tickets are just $10, so make sure you check the socials or go Go to the link in the show notes for this episode to register today. And thank you to our current sponsors, Shriver Carmona and Company and Addison Prime, with more sponsorships on the way. Mm-hmm. And today is the UTSA Football Fiesta Spring Game at the yeah. Alamo Dome. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. Kickoff is at 6.30 p.m. There is free parking, but unfortunately, no tailgating will be allowed. No. Uh, but there but... are some places around there that I feel like some of our folks are going to congregate Oh, at. sure. Yeah. I, th- I think there's an event going on at Alibis. Oh, Alibis, I believe. Yeah, sure. yeah. Al- uh, <laughs> Alibis so is a great So time. gather at Alibis pregame. Um, and have some fun out there. I think that's and, alumni uh, owned, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I, I think, need to look I into think that. it is. But we'll, we'll have to look into that for sure. But uh, Alibis is right down the road from the Alamo Dome. A yep. simple walk. You get to walk right by the SB and into the front doors of the Alamo Dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but make sure you get to the game check it out we're excited to go coach did say that most of the star players aren't going to be playing which makes sense but we'll get to see a lot of the brand new players that are yeah, coming in yeah, yeah. a lot of the folks that came in from the transfer portal and, and some new names that we're excited to see oh yeah for sure for sure so and congrats to the utsa baseball team for earning their first sec win over texas a&m on tuesday with a score of five to one in college station the roadrunners return home for the first time in 12 days hosting a three-game conference series against middle tennessee today through sunday first pitch is time are 6 p.m. today, 2 p.m. on Saturday, and 1 p.m. on Sunday. Congratulations also to Hunter Bott from the men's golf team for his top 10 finish at the Aggie Invitational. He placed ahead of two nationally ranked players from Texas A&M. Of course, one of them uh, was playing at the Masters, so Mm -hmm. there's that. But hey, top 10 finish is awesome. Roadrunners will travel to Texarkana, Arkansas to compete in the Conference USA Championship on April 24th through the 27th at the Texarkana Country Club. So good luck to those Roadrunners. And congratulations to the UTSA women's rugby team for qualifying for the Collegiate Rugby Championship National Sevens Tournament for Division Two. They finished third in the Lone Star Conference and first out of the Division Two teams last weekend in Waco. The Roadrunners will travel to Washington, D.C. April 27th through the 30th to compete on the national stage and are currently holding a fundraising raffle through the Cash App. You can at UTSA Women's Rugby to help cover expenses. 
Each raffle ticket will be for $5 and go towards one prize pot. If you want to put your name in all three prize pots or want multiple entries, you'll need to purchase a ticket for each. But you can purchase as many tickets as you like. The link for that is in the show notes. Obviously, it's a tremendous expense to get an entire rugby team up to Washington, D.C., so any support there would be helpful. Finally, big shout out to our newest member to the Alumni Association Birds Up podcast team, Melissa Adame, who sits on the Alumni Association board with both Yvonne and myself and works in web applications and IT program manager for Webhead. She has experience in technical writing and digital strategy, so you can see why we're really excited to pick her up. Yeah, she knows her stuff. Yeah, she's currently helping us with the interview prep, episode hosting, and social media. So, Melissa, thank you so much. We actually, I used her interview prep for an interview we did yesterday for an interview that's coming out in the future. I do got to say, we have some interviews that are coming out that are really, really awesome. Yes, Super stay tuned. For sure. Melissa, welcome to the team. We're super excited. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading. If there's anything you could do to help us please leave that five star rating interview and make sure you subscribe and we come out with new episodes every other friday at 6 a.m and we'll catch you on the next one birds up birds up